Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking to Ganesh Krishnan, who is the co-founder and CEO of Anzena. And we're going to talk to Ganesh about what Anzena does, but we're also going to talk to him about the different types of cybersecurity education and training and a bunch of other topics. But before we do that, let's say hi to Ganesh. Ganesh, how are you today? Hey, doing great. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for having me on the show. Glad to be here. My pleasure. Hey, I should mention that you've worked in some very high-level roles related to security and engineering with companies like Yahoo, LinkedIn, and Atlassian. And then you made the transition to founding a startup. Your first startup was in 2017, I believe. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yeah so I, I was doing security, being a security practitioner for most of my career. And then in 2017, I just decided to start a cybersecurity company because, you know, I felt like I was doing the cybersecurity practitioner CISO thing for a while. And I was like, hey, if I keep doing this forever, I might go native. So let me try something else. But at the same time, I was really passionate about security. Still am. And so wanted to be in the cybersecurity space, but decided to start a company to help a bunch of other companies. And how did that feel? Because when you were working for very large companies like Yahoo and LinkedIn, then you go off in just you're in a startup, which uh -huh. starts from the ground up, right? Did that take some type of adjustment? Oh, yeah. Every startup take, is different and takes a lot of adjustment. And it's you have to adjust yourself on a daily basis because things are very different when you're like four, five, ten people versus versus a couple of thousand people. Even though I joined companies like LinkedIn and Yahoo early enough, there still were a lot more people. So a lot more support, a lot more resources versus a startup, you're on your own. So yes, we had a lot of adjusting and I continue to adjust to this day. That's cool. What a great learning opportunity. And I believe your first company, you exited after about 18 months. Is that uh -huh. correct? That's correct. Yeah. Sophos acquired our cloud security startup. We were in the cloud security space in 2019. Yes. So I'm curious then, what's the funding situation right now compared to 2017? Yeah, the, look, a funding situation is what comes out in the market is look at all these companies that raise a lot of money. But in reality, there's a lot, lot more companies that need money and that continue to raise money, right? There are several factors to funding and depending on which VC firms or if you're trying to self-fund it or bootstrap it or angels. And so definitely the funding situation as we have seen has tightened over the last six months to a year. And the funding situation was better in 2017 when the economy was doing that. But at the same time, you have to have a great team, you have to have been a great market and you have to be solving a great problem. So that applies regardless of what situation you're in. But yeah, right now with the money being tighter and tighter, the funding situation is a bit more difficult. Yeah. One more question on the business side, and then I want to get into like mm -hmm. cybersecurity education and those type of topics. Do you, from where you sit, because I think you're down in the Silicon Valley area, right? That's correct. Yeah. From where you sit, do you see things leveling off or do we, are we going to continue with the belt tightening? I think this definitely going to continue the belt tightening. We've obviously seen the news with Amazon this morning. So I think that's probably going to continue because the, what I what we all probably know and saw happen was 2021 was a peak. A bunch of companies hired and overhired. So some of that probably has to work through the system as interest rates continue to go up. So I think I think there's going to be a bit more belt tightening is what I'm saying. So. OK, thank you for that. So let's talk about cybersecurity education and training. And I think everybody has been in, in training programs that are effective and unfortunately more often than not really effective. Right. From where you sit, what what are some best practices for structuring training? 
Yeah, yeah. Let me start by echoing what you mentioned, right? So the way we do cybersecurity training today is once a year, once a period of time, right? And if you step back and ask yourself, hey, would I be fit if I exercise once a year? The answer is pretty much no, because the same thing applies to cybersecurity, because the threats are every day. Employees face threats every single day, every single hour, and we are trying to train them once a year. Obviously, it's not effective. The second problem with that is that all the training just is classroom-based. There's little or no, like we are training employees for a bunch of stuff. And it's really for compliance purposes. If you ask most practitioners, most security professionals, all it does, all the current cybersecurity training does is it checks a box because I want to get through some compliance standard that says I need to train my employees. So let me just train them. Everybody knows that's not. Make it more effective. We have to stop calling it training. We have to call it engagement. We have to engage with our employees. We have to make the training more contextual to what they are doing. And we have to deliver it in their workflow in an empathetic fashion, not go after them with punitive stuff. Can you give like some real life examples on how to do that? Yeah, different. If you look at a regular enterprise, there are different personas doing different things. If you're, for example, a common thing that happens is, let's say I'm sharing a document with either internally or outside the company, that's the best time. And if I didn't do that right, if I put some sensitive information in there, the right time to train me on how to share documents safely is when I actually perform that action. If you put me in a room once a year and say, here's how to share stuff safely, yeah, I might grok it for the next 10 seconds, but I will never remember it in practice. But it, when it happens to me is when people are actually more inclined to learn more about it. So we have well, to make training a lot more contextual than what it is today. Makes a lot of sense. And there are a variety of simulated phishings out there, but that's a little bit different from spotting somebody when they're actually doing something wrong in a real scenario, right? Mm-hmm. So something that's simulated. So are you talking about catching people in a simulated type of activity or are you talking about like real on, on the job? Okay, you made a mistake. Let's learn from this. On the job. Okay. You made a mistake and it's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. Security people make mistakes. I make mistakes all the time. It's, hey, how do we make sure that the biggest thing about mistakes is not just nobody makes mistakes. That's not true. It's basically how do you learn from those mistakes and get better? And that's how we have to engage and say, it's okay to make mistakes. Here is the right set of information for you so that you don't repeat the mistake again. Right. And then you have to actually incentivize people to actually take that training because the, imagine in this situation, this kind of a use case that I described, we would be splitting up your cybersecurity training into small segments and then getting people, pinging people when, you know, that con- context happens when they are working and then asking them to do the training. And then we have to basically identify who are the good performers, who are engaging with the training, reward and incentivize them to participate in the system. So that's why I call it engagement, not just training. Today, what happens is on the other side, yeah, you can push a training out and then there's this mad rush on a flag day saying, oh, which organization, how many people have completed the training and check the box? Let's track it organization by organization. Let's put pressure on leaders to actually complete the training versus asking the question, okay, have we incentivized people to take the training? Are people actually learning from the content? Is it relevant? All of that, right? It has to be. And the reason I make the point is training is a larger part of cybersecurity awareness and culture and engagement, which is really what's needed to get employees better, right? We talk about in the security industry, the people problem in cybersecurity, 80 plus percent of breaches have a human element. 
The way to fix that is not just push training, but to engage with employees, get them to understand their own security posture and get better at it over time and incentivize them to do so in a positive fashion. Everything you're saying makes a lot of sense. I got to ask, in addition to the doing the engagement or training in the right context, i.e. when somebody makes that mistake or does mm-hmm. something that could be perceived as risky, ultimately, though, they do have to take some torp- type of training, right? They've either got to read something, listen to something, or watch something. What type of training seems to work best for you uh, in the context of cybersecurity for just the general ways? Yeah, yes, it's- People have to view some content. Depending on how you deliver that content, it's not just about content, but the context around how the content is delivered, right? So if I am sharing a document, I'll go back to one example because it's just easier to understand. If I'm sharing a document that has sensitive, the system might ping me and say, hey, take this 30 second, one minute video that tells you how to share stuff safely. But what that also does is if I make the same mistake two or three times, I understand like how to deal with documents. So it's not just the content that's contributing. It's actually the context because as part of the content, I'm going to go back to the document and say, okay, what's wrong with this? How do I make this safer? It's those kinds of things that help and to keep it top of mind, like going back to my point about exercising more often than once a year. Again, makes a lot of sense. Hey, I got to ask you, how important is it f- to create a culture of security? Extremely important. And everybody you ask the question would say the same thing. And I want to step back and explain to you in the broader context of cybersecurity, right? So when we look at, you know, we talk about cybersecurity and associated threats, we obviously talk about malware, ransomware, spyware, phishing, your application security, supply chain issues, your cloud security, everybody's moving to a public cloud and so on and so forth or SaaS applications. What we don't talk about a lot is the people associated. And more importantly in that, as security is gaining more and more prominence, like when I started 20 years ago, it was difficult to get security funded, let alone think it was important to have a small enough team. Right now, at least that's changing. But the problem now is the surface area is so big. Imagine a cybersecurity team has to deal with every single thing that a company does. Right, whether that be somebody in support or sales, or whether that be somebody in development or operations or product, so it it spans the gamut. So the scalability of the security organization is extremely important. Like that's that doesn't get talked about enough in terms of in terms of the real need for that. Now, whenever you talk about scalability, the obvious things that come to mind are let's get more resources. Yeah, you can go out, you can get more resources. And there's also issues with hiring qualified security people and experts and turning them into experts. We need to continue to do that. The second thing is, can you automate my tasks? Yes, security team can automate its task itself. But what's actually needed is, can employees deal with a subset of their own issues without the involvement of the security team? Can we actually eliminate the security team being in the middle of every single risk and every single security issue that gets dealt with within the company? That's where we need to get to. And in order to get there, we need to leverage employees to deal with their own security issues to to an extent possible. And if you are successful in doing that, it will automatically scale cybersecurity and drive a much greater and deeper culture within the company. That's consistent with the business practices of the company. So that's how so it is. 
Yeah, but does that just come from creating awareness, saying, hey, here are the types of threats that you might see, here's what you should do, and also creating a sense of shared responsibility? Because a lot of organizations, they'll say, oh, IT security or cybersecurity, that's for those guys back in that room over there. They're the specialists. I'm just, I'm an accountant or I'm a salesperson. I'm not, cybersecurity is not any my, my responsibility. But is that just from messaging from the top down? Hey, everybody, this is everybody's responsibility. We need to, everybody needs to be aware of this. And then you back that up with the training or engagement programs that you talked about? Let me step back. There's this famous Chinese proverb that goes like this. Tell me, I'll forget. Show me, I'll remember. Involve me and I'll understand. And we need to really involve people to get them to understand. I think the top-down messaging and the awareness training tells people something is important or, or at the best case shows them so that they remember. But there need to be really processes and systems in place that involve people to get them to understand. That's why it's an ongoing. It's not we'll do something magical and everybody will say, oh, yeah, it's all my problem. And then go start helping with cybersecurity all over. You have to put the right processes and the right systems in place and engage in a positive way. And over time, you will see that change. And imagine for every expert in a company, there's at least 100 plus employees. So even if you can engage a subset of them, it's a massive scale for the cybersecurity team and the culture of the company, because those people will make a 10x or 100x improvement to where things are today, right? Even if you can get a subset of those people engaged. So that's how you have to look at it. It's not just training and awareness. It's definitely an integral part of it. The top-down messaging is, but there needs to be additional systematic processes and systems in place to engage people where they are, like the example that I mentioned earlier about sharing and contextual awareness and things like this. Maybe you could tell us a little bit about what Anzena does. Yeah, what we are doing is we've built a cybersecurity engagement platform, right? So, so what we do is we monitor risks as employees work. So we monitor, imagine something sits there and computes a cybersecurity posture as every for every employee as they work. And then we basically deliver that posture in a contextual fashion in their existing workflow with embedded contextual training in it. So for example, you know, again, the data sharing example, we can be we watching all the data shares that are happening, right? All of those instances. And then we can basically surface to the employee that did the egregious data share with contextual training, awareness, and incentive to participate in the system. Because like to your earlier point, it's not just that if you deliver this content, let's say in Slack or Microsoft Teams, that people will suddenly start participating. It's that you have to actually incentivize, provide them additional incentives, which could be intangible ones, like you're, you're a leaderboard, you, you get recognition from your company, your executives, because you've been a top performer, or it could be tangible ones like spot bonuses or monetary rewards, because you're actually a champion that's actually participating in the system. So we provide that end-to-end -end experience with the ability for the security team to control the workflow based on the type of risk. So the role of the security team in our product is to manage the workflow, not to respond to individual alerts. Which goes back to my point of, hey, we, we want to scale the cybersecurity function and not just give them another dashboard of things to follow up on. And what type of activities can you monitor to, to see if there's a potential issue? Yeah, data sharing, broader DLP issues. So we can take your DLP alerts and what we call democratize them. We can take, we can make your phishing simulation processes a lot more engaging. We can take your security issues that are sitting in systems like Jira and other places and democratize that to the employee that owns it 
and help them resolve it, contextually train them. There are several others like SaaS applications and access, OAuth grants, which are a huge problem for companies that allow OAuth grants. And these are all high touch, high volume issues that the security teams struggle to follow up on and get traction on. And those are the things that we pick up and say, hey, you're anyway not following up on this or it's super hard because you have to staff up to follow up. We can take those and push it to the people who are creating them in the first place and train them in the process. So it helps the scalability of the team and it trains the employee in the process and get them, gets them to fix it. Excellent. And what kind of reporting analytics can you provide? Yeah, so what we do is we, for every issue that flows through our system, we basically associate it to the organizational hierarchy and structure. So what we do is then we do an, we do organizational reporting where every leader and every individual in the company start from the CEO on can see how their org or sub org within a given company is doing, who are the top performers, who are the high risk employees and so on and so forth. Because we are monitoring all this information, we can actually see all of that data, provide those insights. And then you provide any like organizational comparison to peers in their industry to say, hey, here's how your organization does in comparison yeah. to everybody else. Not currently, but yes, that's those are definitely some of the extensions to our system. I think we want to start with, we are fairly early in our journey, so we want to start with what's useful to an individual organization and then provide broader insights that might apply in a given industry. Absolutely. And I would imagine in your role as CEO, I mean, you're concerned with both the product and platform development. You're also concerned with the growth of the business. In terms of the products and platform development, where do you look to understand the threat landscape and changes in the threat landscape? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's, you know, I have been fortunate to just have worked in this space and just happen to follow this space. So some of it just comes from myself and my co-founder is also 20 plus year cybersecurity infrastructure veteran. So among between us, we can certainly, we have some insights into how security teams function. The second is having enough connections and in the industry around CISOs or security practitioners that we have developed over time and continue to develop, right? So it's on one hand, it's our experience. On the other hand, it's listening to customers and talking to people who are experienced and have better insights and can validate our ideas or our thoughts. And then so from where you sit, are, do you see any major changes in the threat landscape? Are certain types of attacks becoming more, more common than others? Look, as much as the threat landscape changes, it stays the same. The set of issues that have affected security over the last decade or so have been similar, but the mechanisms have now become different. A great example is cloud and SaaS, right? So things are not within four walls. So the way you deal with security threats, let's say if you have infrastructure in AWS, is very different compared to how you deal with them when you're in an on-prem behind a firewall, right? Those things have changed, but like what people think about when they move to AWS, hey, externally visible stuff should be controlled by, have to make sure data is protected. Those types of things are still the same. But like the how is different. Like I don't want to have S3 buckets open to the public if I'm in AWS. That's a common thing. Uh, that doesn't exist in the traditional behind the firewall stuff. So it's still like malware, ransomware, spyware, phishing, supply chain, cloud, people. And the one was talking about scalability, which doesn't get talked about enough of the security organization, but needs to.
Makes sense. Hey, one of the issues with training is you fact like you stated that sometimes it's driven by compliance and they're just checking the box. Other times mm-hmm. when you are running either simulated campaigns or monitoring real activity, employees can feel that they're being watched or that there's a kind of a lack of trust there. How do you empower employees through developing trust while you're doing these type of education or engagement campaigns? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And phishing is where that people feel it's punitive, like the security team is after me. And you never want that impression because guess what? I'm a security practitioner. I've been in the security space. I can get fished, right? No matter what, how much trained I am, I can get fished because that's why it's called a social engineering attack. It's in the nick of time. People get you with that sense of urgency when you're really not looking, paying attention. So it can happen to anyone. And the goal there should be to not make punitive, not make it punitive. And there is this published article about how the Yahoo security team did this, in, I think in 2018 or 2019. I wasn't there. I left long before that. But I thought that was a great way to approach the problem. So what they did was they measured the outcomes. So instead of going and telling employees, hey, you'll be you'll be in trouble if you click on this link or give up your password, which is how those phishing attacks look. What they did was they said, hey, I will measure you on using a password manager, using an internally approved password manager. And then if you click on a link, which most people do by mistake, and you end up on a fake page, your password manager fill in the password. So that should be a red flag for you. And if you report that issue as phishing, then that's another thing that I'll measure us on. So you've changed it from saying, hey, you know what, don't click on links, which doesn't make sense, to, hey, please use a password manager because it keeps you safe, it keeps the company safe, because a single employee getting fished can compromise the entire company. So I thought that's a good way to approach that. That's a great example. So let me ask you, I see this in the show notes here, that you have some ideas or your own process for managing the stress of running a company. And as the notes say, some CEOs get a good night's sleep, others swear by meditation and a morning ice bath, but you have your own secret recipe for success. What is that? (laughs) I don't think I have a secret recipe for success. I think it's about being conscious about those things. We all get stressed, but it's about being conscious when when you're hitting that moment and then taking a deep breath, whether that be meditation, whether that be getting some sleep, so for example, middle of the day, you might be, oh my God, like this is too stressful. I didn't get a good night's sleep last night, which happens to everyone, by the way. Then go take a nap for 15, 20 minutes and you might feel better, right? So use the tools. There are many tools like naps, meditation, music. I tend to use a combination of those depending on the situation. But the biggest thing is for me to be aware that's happening, right? And just not continue down the rabbit hole. I totally agree with you on that. So let me ask you the name of, the, of your company. And Zena, it's from a Japanese word. Any particular reason you selected a Japanese word? Yeah, so it means safe. So we wanted to convey this notion of safe because obviously we are in the cybersecurity space. And we wanted to, we wanted something that sounded calming, not alarming, something that is there to help you versus Zena fit that bill for us when we were looking for names. And of course, the unsaid stories are also that what domains are actually available given the set of names you come up with. (laughs) Yeah, no, that is a massive challenge. And I'm curious if you, did you get the .com? We didn't get the .com. We did get the AI and the IO. 
Okay, got you. Yeah, lived in Japan for five years, and it's an, it's actually a nice word. But back to your point about getting a domain, it's such a challenge these days. You know, how do you, I don't know. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, Ganesh, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I agree with pretty much everything that you said on the importance of training in the right context, making it relevant, making it engaging, and uh, I'd like to wish you and the rest of your team just a super successful 2023. Thank you so much, Mark. Great questions, and it was great chatting with you.